This morning I get to introduce you to one of my own friends and have him preach from the pulpit this morning, and it's a great joy for me. Back in June, I sat down with him to talk about a paper that I was writing and working on and just get his input, and in the process of that, it came out that he would be on the West Coast, and so we talked about trying to make it happen for him to come visit here. Um, in the process, he'll be here, he'll be in Astoria, and he will be in Vernonia, um, as well as up at the IFCA Regional in Renton in the upcoming days. Um, his focus is with leadership. He is with an organization called Interna Institute for Biblical Leadership. He is their vice president. And so that is what he does. He is a missionary with them as the vice president going around and helping develop leaders. Um, and so that's what he'll be speaking on this morning. In addition to that, he's written two books, the most recent being on miscarriage. I think the book is back there, When a Man Suffers a Miscarriage helping guide men through the process when their spouse has gone through a miscarriage and how they do that as a family. Previous to that, he has written a book called Selecting Elders, which I believe he'll reference. And so it's my privilege this morning to share with you and introduce to you Dr. Dave Dietz. Well, thank you, Robert. It's great to be able to be here, and uh, it's always a privilege to be in the Pacific Northwest area. I don't get out here a ton. Uh, I actually grew up in uh, northern Illinois, and so I'm a Midwest uh, farm kid. Uh, we raised ostriches and pigs and cows and, I don't know, probably everything else under the sun. Um, and so uh, I never had a chance to uh, get out to the Pacific Northwest much as I was growing up. But then I married a girl from Colorado, and so that started pulling me to the West. And, uh, and God has allowed me to now serve, as, as Robert mentioned, in, uh, as uh, Vice President of Ministry for IBL. And I'm uh, just grateful for the chance to be able to be up in this area. Uh, the few times I have been up to the Pacific Northwest, I'm always uh, taken by the beauty that is up here. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. And uh, so thank you for letting me be here. It's great to be able to meet you all and uh, just to be able to be part of your worship service this morning and uh, looking forward to what God has for us uh, this morning. And uh, We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. I didn't know today was going to be uh, Pastor Appreciation Day, so that works out well. Uh, as we look at this text of Scripture, usually I don't know much about anything, so whenever it happens, it's kind of a surprise to me. But uh, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, this particular text of Scripture. I think uh, Pastor Robert has been going through 1 Timothy, I think. I don't know where he's at or what he's been talking about, uh, but uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 obviously deals with the roles and uh, the qualifications, really more of the qualifications for the pastor, for the elder. And so this is a complementing passage to that passage in 1 Timothy 3, and uh, one that is important for us as we think about and examine, and as we look at uh, the role of the shepherd in the local church. So 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse 1, uh, it says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning as we start. Father, we are so, so thankful for all that you have done for us. Father, we're thankful for even this text of scripture this morning, as we think about and we process through the, the role of the pastor elder, the man who has been called by God, as we see in 1 Timothy 3, to fulfill the, the roles and the responsibilities that God has given to him. Father, we pray that you would help us, help us in our thinking, help us in our processing, help us to be able to engage with this text in the manner that you desire us to engage. We pray that you would give us uh, understanding and give us grace today as we hear your word proclaimed. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 
I mentioned a little bit in our Sunday school hour about a little bit of my background and some of the, the role and uh, aspect that I had in our church uh, when I became lead pastor in, uh, in a church in Michigan in 2013. A little bit of my background, I had come out of probably what would be described as an independent fundamental Baptist background, which meant for me, we only had one pastor. Wow, there is a deer walking right through the... I'm sorry, I've stopped from here. I'm just like, here's Bambi walking right up to the church. All right, anyway, sorry. It's been a while since I took homiletics class and dealing with distractions. I'm like, man, am I really seeing that? I am. So anyway. Sorry, I'll try to stay focused. You guys stay focused, too. <laughs> um, I don't know where I was. Um, I, so I grew up in a church that, w- that would have come from the background that would have said there's one pastor, one man, and then there's a set of deacons, and they, they help run the church. That's how the church gets to run and to function. Well, when I grew up in that church, in that system, that's what I actually began to serve as in pastoral ministry. I was a youth pastor. I was an associate pastor in that model of church polity. And I never really thought much about that model of church polity, and I never really thought much about other options or other, uh, other contexts of church polity. And uh, until in about 2009, I um, began to be confronted with what does the Bible actually teach about church and church polity and how churches should be governed and how churches should be run. And I began to think about this idea of the concept of a plurality, a a, a leadership model where it is run by a plurality of pastors or sometimes called elders. And how does that work and how does that function? And someone introduced me to a man by the name of Alex Strauch. And I don't know if you are familiar with Alex or his work, but he has written several uh, books and several um, Uh, resources on the role of the elder and on the role of serving as a pastor. And so that really began to kind of create some thoughts within my head as I read through some of his books and began to look at on the back of one of the books that I got, it said that he was located in Littleton, Colorado. Well, I was pastoring. I was an associate pastor at Littleton Baptist Church at that time. And I thought, well, he's in Littleton, Colorado. That's like right in the same city I'm in. What are the odds? And so somehow I was able to get his email address, and I wrote him an email, and I said, you don't know me from Adam, but I would love to have lunch with you just to kind of learn more about what you're talking about and this whole idea of, of elders and this whole idea of, of a, a plurality of pastors. And so he was very gracious and reached out right away, and we began to have lunch. He was writing currently at that point, he was writing a book on deacons, on how to help deacons. And so he was fascinated by my background. I was fascinated by his background. And so we started to meet and have lunch just to kind of compare our church backgrounds together. Over the course of time, God would allow me to become the lead pastor of a church in Michigan. I had joined the IFCA, which I believe Pastor Robert is part of as well. And uh, I joined the IFCA and, and we began the process of becoming the lead pastor at this church in Michigan. And I had prayed to God, and this is the way my relationship with God works, uh, I had prayed to God and I said, God, I, I would like you to send me to a church that has elders all figured out. I'll preach and I'll just kind of learn how this is supposed to work. Well, God said, I have other plans for you. Let me send you to Michigan and uh, let me send you to this church. Well, I mentioned in the Sunday school hour, the church that I came to in Michigan in the years preceding about uh, 10 to 12 years prior, the, the 10 to 12 years before I came, had had two church splits, a merger, and a fire in that period of time. So there was a lot of chaos that had ensued at that church. Uh, the original group that had split had gone to a competing high school and started their church there, and then the fire happened, and so the original church had to meet in the other high school, and so this is rural Michigan, and so in one high school, you have one church that split out of the other church that's meeting in the other high school, and so you have competitive high schools with now competitive churches that have met. So the whole town knew, like the whole area knew, you know, rural area of of Michigan, rural area of America, and it's wonderful, right, because the whole world gets to hear about all the problems that you have, even though you don't want the world to know about that. And so that was the church that I was becoming the lead pastor of. I mentioned this morning in Sunday school, I had been there to candidate and I told them, I said, I know about the two churches. I know about the split. I know about the merger. I know about the fire. I know about all that stuff. I said, but would you guys say that everything is good? 
And there was 100 people or so in the church, and there was 22 people in the search committee, and they said, yes, everything is good. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take you at your word. And so uh, I preached that Sunday, candidated, and the following Sunday, this was in October of 2013, the following Sunday, uh, one of the elders called me, and he said, Dave, we have good news. He said, 86% of us voted you to be the next pastor, uh, but he said, we have bad news. He said, we have three major issues going on in our church right now. And he listed these three major issues. And he said, by the way, today at the business meeting uh, where we voted to call you as the next pastor, he said, there was an eruption where somebody stood and read a letter resigning from this nominating committee and calling all of the elders to rethink how they select elders. And uh, so we didn't know what to do. So we just said, you could figure it out when you get here. <laughs> And I was overwhelmed and shocked. And he said, does that, I remember him asking, does that change your opinion about coming here? And I'm like, well, we have already, we've already announced to our church that we're, we're going to be going. And so I'm like, we feel like this is where God is leading us. So no, we're going to come and we're going to trust God. And so what happened over those, over those next really nine to 12 months was really something interesting as I think back and look back was when we got there to the church, what had happened on that Sunday that they had called me to be the pastor, there was a question that had been raised by one of the ladies. They had a nominating committee that would nominate men to be deacons or nominate men to be elders or really any kind of leadership position. And one of the ladies who had been in the church forever had decided that she was going to publicly resign from that committee and bring to the attention of the entire church the fact that there was a problem in this selection process. And so that was why they had said, well, you, when you come here, you can figure it all out. Well, remember, I had prayed, God, I don't know what I, like this was a completely new polity model for me. I had never served in this capacity. I had never served in a church that had elders. I had never, I had no familiarity with this concept. And now, not only did I pray and say, God, would you send me to a church that has it all figured out and I'll just preach and learn how to do this? God sent me to a church that on the day they called me to be their pastor, they said, we don't even have a clue what we're doing. You can figure it all out. And so I got there and began to feel very, very overwhelmed by what do we do? How, how do we figure this out? And it was really, in hindsight, it was very good for me because what it did was it forced me to go back into Scripture and to go back to the Bible to say, what does God's Word actually say about this aspect of a plurality of pastors or elders, a, a plurality of leadership? Through the course of that next year, we actually identified a whole selection process. I, I meant to bring some of those books with me. I failed to do that, so I told Pastor Robert I'll... I'll send some copies here, um, or you can order them on Amazon if you'd like. But uh, that began the process of just thinking through and processing through how do we select elders? What is an elder? What does an elder do? How does an elder function? How does an elder work in a, in a plurality model? How does this all happen? Because I didn't have a clue. I was coming out of a Baptist church that would have said, we don't have elders, and we don't have multiple men that serve in this capacity. We only have one man, and we don't use the term elder or multiple pastors. And so this was a completely new process for me that really forced me back into Scripture and forced me to be able to say, what does God have for us? And so through the course of that year, um, I was finishing up my doctorate at that time, and I needed to have a, a dissertation project to work on. And so I thought, well, why do two projects at once? I could just turn this into the project, into my dissertation. And so that's what prompted uh, me to write on the dissertation on selecting elders. How do we choose God's shepherds? What is God's shepherd look like? How does all this work? And so that's what caused me to kind of walk down that journey uh, 10 years ago as we began to look at this process. And so uh, as we think through this and as we look through this, as, as Pastor Robert mentioned this morning, a lot of what we do uh, within IBL uh, is dealing with leadership. It's dealing with how does the church function? How is the church to be governed? How is the church to be organized? How does the church function in the way God intends it to function? And we don't necessarily always get down into the weeds of some of those things. IBL's philosophy of ministry is that we come underneath the authority of that local church. So we are able to work in different polity structures, in different ways of governing the church. We're able to work in those. But when it comes to me as a person, having gone through this, having processed through this, this is a, a great passage for us to look at. 
And so this morning, as we look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, we're going to look at three major thoughts that I think you have in the, uh, the back of the bullets in there. And then we're going to examine some thoughts underneath that. When I was writing my dissertation, I came across a fascinating quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he said this, To compromise on leadership is the most suicidal thing a church can do. To compromise on leadership is the most suicidal thing a church can do. I remember when I read that, I wasn't convinced that that was actually true. I thought, well, that's an interesting quote. As we have worked, and as I become in my role of IBL, leaving the pastoral ministry and serving now with IBL and serving in a number of churches, and I don't know much about Coal Creek, like I shared the story in Sunday school, I don't know much about Coal Creek at all as far as what has gone on in history and all that stuff. But as we have served with IBL, what we have found is that statement is absolutely true. To compromise on leadership is the most suicidal thing a church can do. What happens in most of churches in America, in fact, most of the churches in the world, is we look at it and we say, well, we have to have leaders. We have to have people that help run the church. We have to have people that serve in this leadership role. So you've got warm blood flowing through you. In, fact, in other words, you're alive and, and you don't complain too much and you show up regularly. So how about you, you be a leader? And because it's pragmatically driven oftentimes for churches, because there's just not an abundance of people who are stepping forward to say, I want to be the leader God wants me to be. I want to serve in the capacity that God wants me to serve in. So it's driven churches not out of a desire to not follow God's word or not out of a desire to do something contrary to God's word, but just pragmatically to function it's caused churches to say, man, we sometimes we get so desperate. So if you're living and breathing and you don't cause us too many problems, how about you get to be in leadership? This is pervasive through many different organizations, through many different situations throughout America and throughout the world. And so when Peter examines this in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe this is the heart of what he's talking about and dealing with and addressing here. And there's some really fascinating things within this text of Scripture that we want to look at. There is, in verses 1 through 4, as we look at this, this, this passage this morning, in verses 1 through 4, there's one command, and then there's three participles, or three ways that that command is played out. And so that command is to shepherd. Look what he says there in, in verse 2. So I exhort the, starting in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is coming to be revealed. This is Peter giving some background to who he is and what he's doing and what's happened. And then verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is the command. This is the imperative command that is given in verses 1 through 4. This is the command that Peter gives. Shepherd the flock of God. And so as we look at this, this, this outline, the simple outline that you have, number one is the shepherd's role. God has called men to live and to, to function and to fulfill the role of shepherding within the church. God has called men to do that. That's the shepherding aspect. But before we get into verse 2, I want us to look at some of the aspect of verse 1. Peter, remember, Peter is an apostle. There's, there's some interesting things here about verse 1. Peter is an apostle. Peter is writing this letter. Peter is writing this text of Scripture, and he's saying, I'm exhorting the elders among you. Wherever you may be, the, the church that is scattered, the diaspora that has happened, as we see in 1 Peter. And so wherever you are, the elders that are among you, Peter says, I'm exhorting them to shepherd the flock of God. That's the duty that they are called to do. But Peter also talks about himself. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He is a partaker that is going to be revealed. But there's an interesting phrase that Peter uses and it's right after this issue of among you. So I exhort the elders among you. And Peter says, as a fellow elder. The Greek word there, and not that probably any of you really care about the Greek word. It won't help you pay your bills on Friday or whenever you pay your bills. But the Greek word there is sim presbyteros. Elders together. There's a symbiotic relationship there. It's that whole idea that Peter's trying to address. Sim presbyteros, elders together. In other words, P 
Peter as an apostle with apostolic authority because of his role as a disciple and follower of Christ, Peter as an apostle is saying, hey, actually, I am a fellow elder with you. I am going to fulfill this role with you. Peter is trying to address this issue that it's not about a position, it's not about a title, it's not about power, it's not about influence, it's about the calling that God has placed on a man's life to be a pastor, to be an elder. That's why we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, if, if any man aspires or desires the office of bishop, and the King James would say bishop, the office of elder, he desires a good thing. There's a calling that God has placed on men's lives to serve in this capacity. And so here is Peter in verse 1 saying, listen, I, even though I've got the position of apostle, when it comes to playing out my role within the body, I am a fellow elder with you. I am a witness together of the sufferings of Christ. I am a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter says, first of all, here's the shepherd's role. Here's the command, shepherd the flock of God. But how do we do that? Well, Peter says, first of all, the shepherd is to oversee the flock. Verse 2, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So Peter is reminding them that the shepherd is to oversee the flock of God. Some of this stuff, hopefully, as we go through this passage this morning, you say, well, this makes perfect sense. Others, hopefully, will be, oh, I hadn't thought about that, or I hadn't seen that, or I hadn't considered that. There are four Greek words. Again, I know you're going to say, I didn't come to church for a Greek lesson. And trust me, I'm not super fluent in Greek. But there are four Greek words that are used by Paul and by Peter when he talks about the elder or the pastor. Those four words are going to describe the fullness of what an elder or a pastor is to do. The four words that are used, three of them are used in this text. The first one is presbyteros. That means to be the governor. The, the presbyteros is the role of the elder or the role of the pastor that is a decision maker. In other words, there are decisions that have to be made for the church. There are things that have to be done and, and, and direction that has to be given and decisions that have to take place. And that is the, the presbyteros role. So whenever we see that, such as 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, we see it in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we see it in James chapter 5, verse 14, and we see it here in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The presbyteros, the, the elder. When Peter says here is a fellow elder, he's saying a fellow presbyteros, a fellow governor. But then he uses the word episkopos. Paul uses it and Peter uses it. He uses the word episkopos, which means the overseer. And that word is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. It's used in Titus 1, verse 7. And it's used in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. So Paul and Peter both are going to make this argument that an elder or a pastor is to be a presbyteros. He's to be a decision maker. He's to be a governor. He's to, to be giving direction and being giving uh, the, the decision-making role. But then he's also supposed to be the episkopos, the overseer. The idea that would have been presented from Peter and Paul's standpoint would have been the, the watchman on the tower, so to speak. So think of the old cities and like the Old Testament concept of a city where they would build walls around the city and there would be a watchman that would stand on the, the wall of the city and he would be looking out and he would be looking in. He would be looking out for what are the threats, what are the dangers, what are the issues, what are the enemies that might come and destroy this city. And so the episcopos role of the elder or the pastor says, what is happening in society, what is happening in the world that could affect people within the church? Here's what's going on in society. Here's what laws are being passed. Here's what issues are taking place uh, within society. We need to be mindful of that. We need to be protected from that. We need to be prepared for that. But then he's also looking into the church. This is what we see in Philippians chapter 4 when Paul urges the church at Philippi to, he says, I entreat you to help Syntyche and Yodae get along. So if you go to Philippians chapter 4, remember these two women... Not that only women have issues, trust me. 
but it's these two women that Paul references, Syntyche and Yodia, he says they're having some problems, they're having some issues, and so he says entreat them to get along, to, to co-labor together. So the episcopos role is looking out and it's looking in. What threats are coming from the outside and what issues are taking place on the inside. But then Peter and Paul both are going to use the Greek word poimen, which means to shepherd. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock. The Greek word there for shepherd is poimen. So there's a presbyteros role. There's an episcopos role. There's a poimen role. And then Paul is going to reference in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, the oikonomos role. The oikonomos is the steward. Think of where we might get the word economics, where we are stewarding our finances. So, so Paul is going to address in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, that there's a role of the pastor, or the role of the elder, that is the steward of the resources. So the steward of the building or the steward of the assets or the steward of the finances or something that is not often considered the stewardship of the people within the body. And so Paul and Peter both are going to make this argument that there are four within the role of pastor or elder, which are used synonymously in scripture within the role of that, there are four roles that they fulfill. The presbyteros, decision maker, the episcopos, overseer, both outside and inside, the poimen, which is the shepherding role, and the oikonomos role, the stewardship role. So what happens in a lot of churches across America that we deal with and a lot of churches that are, are functioning with an elder team is that we often will look to one man to fulfill the shepherding role, while another group of men say, you know what, we'll take the presbyteros role. So the church that I took over in Michigan, 2013, again, I was naive. I came into the church thinking everyone was on the same journey I was. No one else was on the same journey I was. Most of these men had been part of the church for a long time. In fact, one of our elders had been the man who had caused the church split, had left, started the other church, and then was brought back into our church. The interim pastor before I came said, in order to show solidarity between these two churches, he said, I'm going to carte blanche name this church's leadership to be the leadership at the church that didn't split. So the people that stayed in our church who didn't leave, now, seven years, eight years later, were told those people that split the church, they now are being told that you, they are your leaders. They are your elders and your deacons. Well, that's what caused this major civil war within our church because we had two different churches that had never been reconciled and never come to terms with each other. And so as we began to work these men through that process and began to work through this process of what is the role of the pastor? What is the role of the elder? Again, those words are used synonymously. How do they function? What do they do? All four of those functions have to be fulfilled within each man's position. So whether I get a paycheck or not, whether I went to Bible college or not is not the issue. If God has called me to be a pastor or called me to be an elder, again, the same concept, the same word, I have to fulfill these four roles. Now, we know that some men are more gifted at some roles than others, but all elders, all pastors have to fulfill all four of these roles. That's what Peter is driving at in this text of Scripture within 1 Peter chapter 5. So let's look at these roles. Let's look at these matters here. First of all, the shepherd oversees the flock. Again, we talk about this here where Peter is, is addressing this. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That word oversight is the Greek word episkopos. This is the role in this particular case of the elder, the pastor. He is to exercise oversight. Well, how is he to exercise oversight? And this is where it gets interesting. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Well, what does the word compulsion mean? Have you ever been compelled to do something? Like you don't really want to do it, but you're kind of being forced into doing it. That would be the concept of compulsion. It means to be in imposition or to be obligated to do something. In other words, I don't really want to do this, but I was told I have to do this. That would be under compulsion. And Paul, Peter says, you're not to be a shepherd, you're not to be an elder under compulsion, you are to be an elder because this is something that you are doing willingly, 
The word willingly means to do something without being forced. In other words, to have a desire to do it. As we met with the elders of the church that I took over, I just moved in on Friday and on Monday night we had a meeting. It was my first meeting with the elders. And I said to them, I said, can you guys tell me why you are elders? And I remember as they went around the room and each one of them kind of told me their background and told me their, their things. I remember one particular man, he had been a pastor of a church full time for 20 years or so. He was probably in his early 60s and he had left that church. He was working a secular job and he looked at me and he said, I don't want to be an elder, but they told me I had to be. I'm like, wow, that, like, I feel sorry for you that you are functioning in this role out of compulsion. I don't want to do this, but this body of people won't let me not do this. That would violate, and that's what I would tell him, that would violate 1 Peter 5, verse 2, when Peter says, you need to do this willingly. Not because you're forced to do it, not because you're manipulated to do it, not because somehow you feel obligated to do it, but you do it because this is a desire that God has given to me and I can't not do this. That should be the heart of the elder, the pastor. And as we saw, as that played out with him, the challenges that came to, to fruition in just a few months after that, where he, he exploded, lost his temper, lost his cool, out of complete frustration. It was interesting, as I was looking through the, the files in the church, I'd come across his membership file. Like, they used to have people fill out these membership forms and questionnaires. And he wrote in large letters on his membership application, I do not want to be a pastor or elder. And I felt so sorry for him that some three or four years later, when he had come to the church looking for hope and looking for peace and looking for rest, saying up front, I do not want to do this, that when I got there and met with him and met with all the rest of the elders, that was what he said. I do not want to do this, but they told me I had to. That is serving out of compulsion, not willingly. But look what else Peter says there. In verse 2, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The concept behind the Greek word there for shameful gain is that there is profit in any way because of your position. Now, this is not talking about, hey, we have a lead pastor, a main pastor, a teaching pastor, we pay him a salary. This is not talking about that. This is talking about what would happen in some of these leadership positions in the first century church, and quite honestly, it happens today in some cases, is that people, especially in larger churches, people will say, well, I'll become an elder, I'll become a pastor, because that gives me a little bit more name recognition, especially in a big church, and I can actually further my business dealings on the side because I've got notoriety, or people know me. And so they're, they're using their position in such a way to benefit themselves with business dealings or with other types of situations. And that's what Peter is addressing. He's saying you should not be an elder out of shameful gain. You should not be an elder because you're trying to profit from this. But rather, this is talking about somebody who's sitting there saying, I want to be an elder so that I can extort people out of their money or I can profit in some way in, in business. Peter says you're to do it not for shameful gain, but you're to do it willingly meaning willing to do it regardless of the benefits, willing to do this regardless of what you get out of it. Why? Because this is something God has called you to do. You're doing it eagerly. Well, the second participle then is found in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge. I don't know how many of you have a history in church. I don't know how many of you have different backgrounds in church. I, I don't know. I know my background. I know what I grew up in. I know that oftentimes what happened was in our church where there was one single pastor and some deacons was that oftentimes this pulpit, not this one, obviously, but the pulpit was used as a means for the pastor to really kind of dictate and bully people into doing what he wanted them to do. And Peter says, listen, a, a, an elder, a pastor does not take advantage of his position to bully the people or to domineer over the people or to lord over the people. So the shepherd does not domineer over 
the flock. That word domineer means to lord over. It's somebody who is basically using their position as elder or their position as pastor to, as a trump card to say, well, you have to do this because I'm a pastor, I'm an elder. So my position dictates you have to submit to me. Is there submission that takes place to leadership? Yes, there is. We can look at Hebrews chapter 13 to see a, a great text of scripture there that talks about the relationship of that, of that uh, position. But Peter says that the elder is not to domineer over or lord over the people that are in their charge. They are not to be using their position as a means of bullying people into doing what he believes that God would want them to do. But then the third participle that's used is found there in the second part of verse 3. It's not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So remember, the, the command that's given in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. How do we do that? Well, we do that by exercising oversight. We do that by not domineering. And we do that, thirdly, by being examples to the flock. Those are the three participles, the three ways that that plays out in this text. So Paul said, Peter says, rather, they're being examples to the flock. And again, I know some of you will be like, I don't know why he talks about Greek words. But there's a fascinating Greek word that is used here in this verse. Being examples to the flock is the Greek word tupos, which means to strike. So now as you look at that, you think, well, that's odd. Why would Peter use a word that means to strike when he's just got done talking about don't domineer, don't do it out of compulsion, do it willingly, do it eagerly. Why would he then, in the third participle, the third way that we, that we fulfill this role of shepherding, why would he say something like strike? Because that conjures up within our minds this idea of like, are we beating the sheep? Are we doing something that is wrong to the sheep? Well, as you look at that particular word, as you look at that particular concept of the word strike, it means to strike or to stamp. In your hymnal, you have the song, I think it's on page 333 or hymn number 333 or 332, Oh, to be like thee. Maybe I don't know if you've sung that in a while or you've sung that in the past. That's a hymn that you may know. Oh, to be like thee. And there's a final phrase in the chorus that says this, Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. That's the idea that Peter is driving to when he says he uses this word of being an example that means to strike or to stamp. In other words, what Peter is arguing for is those that serve as pastors, those that serve as elders, are to say, Christ, I want you to stamp your image on me so that as I lead, as I shepherd, as I govern, as I oversee, as I steward, people see only Christ, and they don't see me. We talked about our definition of leadership at IBL. It's a Holy Spirit-led process whereby a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God influences others to embrace God's objectives. And so Peter here is making this argument that elders, pastors, are to be those people that are shepherding the flock of God that is among them. And they do that by exercising oversight, by not domineering, and by being examples of who Jesus Christ is. But Peter goes on then in verse 4, and he says this, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know who serves as elders at Cold Creek. I know that we had elders in our church. We deal with a lot of elders across America and different churches. One of the most difficult jobs, if it's done right and done well, is the role of the lay elder, the lay pastor, who is not looking at themselves simply as the governor, decision maker, but who is looking at themselves as, I will faithfully fulfill the presbyteros role, the episkopos role, the, the poimain role, and the oikonomos role, the governor role, the overseer role, the shepherding role, and the stewarding role. All four of those have to be part of the elder pastor. And when you have someone who serves in a lay capacity, unpaid capacity, who is faithfully fulfilling those four roles, that is an extremely difficult thing to fulfill. 
And Peter says here, listen, for those of you, whether paid or unpaid, who who are fulfilling that role, who are doing it faithfully, when the chief shepherd appears, what will you receive? You will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is a great motivation for us. It's a great uh, benefit for us that serve as elders. It's a great thing for us to look forward to of receiving a reward, of receiving this blessing from God, the chief shepherd who is going to give to us our reward. The shepherd's reward, number two in your outline, the shepherd's reward is that of the unfading crown of glory. Like Peter is referencing the same thing that Paul often references is this idea of the athlete who finished well, who ran well, who competed well, who receives their reward. I know all of us would probably agree that we've over uh, we've overemphasized this idea of rewards. I remember when I grew up, you didn't get a lot of rewards unless you earned it. Nowadays, you show up and we give you a reward just because, well, you showed up, so thank you. Because uh, we want everybody to feel good about themselves. And it's kind of gone the other way to now where rewards are just like, well, those are kind of, they don't mean as much anymore. But Peter is addressing this issue that God is going to give to us, the chief shepherd, Christ, is going to give to us this unfading crown of glory, this reward that we are going to get. But this is not for all elders. This is for those who faithfully fulfill their role. So whether you're paid or not paid doesn't matter. Whether you went to Bible college or didn't go to Bible college, it doesn't matter. If you are faithful at fulfilling the roles of the elder, the roles of the pastor, of of the governing and oversight and shepherding and stewarding, Peter says there is a reward that the chief shepherd is going to give to you. So you think about this issue of verse 3, where Peter has just gotten done being examples to the flock, being being uh, examples in such a way that Christ is stamping his image on you. You are reflecting Christ to the congregation. You're reflecting Christ to the people that you're serving. When Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, he will give you the reward that he has in store for you because you exemplified him. You were able to demonstrate what that was like. The shepherd's role, the shepherd's reward given by the chief shepherd. But then... Look at thirdly and finally, the shepherd's relationship. How does all of this work? How does all of this kind of function? What's the nuts and bolts underneath the surface that has to be present in order for this to happen? Well, it's the shepherd's relationship. Look in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is kind of a transitional verse. So verse 5 still fits to the context of verses 1 through 4, but verse 5 is also introducing the context of verse 6 and following. So this is a transitional passage. Verse 5 is transitional. So it's both tied to 1 through 4, and it's tied to 6 and following. And so in verse 5, Peter is talking about the, the relationship of the shepherd within the body. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. What makes a church function the way God intended it to function? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But if somebody were to ask you, what makes a church function the way God intended it to function? You might come up with a whole lot of things, and they all might be good things and actually applicable things. But I think what Peter is driving at in verse 5 is to say, listen, the key to church life, the key to the Christian walk is humility. What makes a church tick, if you will? It's humility. Those who are leading the church have to be humble. Those who are being led within the church have to be humble. It takes a mutual submission to one another. To say, if I'm a pastor, if I'm an elder, I need to demonstrate the humility of Jesus Christ. We looked at this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was in the form of God, did not think it robbery or stealing to to take the, 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 uh, the relationship with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He, he came in the likeness of man. He became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. So if you want to serve as a leader, well, what's your model? What's your pattern? And Paul and Peter both would say, listen, your pattern is actually not somebody else you've seen, although that might be a fine example, but your pattern is Jesus Christ. 
So whether you're paid or whether you're unpaid, your process and your job and your duty as a pastor, elder, deacon, leader, is to say, I need to show the humility of Christ. I need to lead like Christ. I need to demonstrate Christ. I need to show Christ. People should be able to see the image of Jesus Christ has been stamped, like a coin, an old coin, with the image stamped on them of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. What does it take for the congregation? It takes for them humility. In July of 2020, I left the church I was pastoring and I joined IBL full-time. And for really, I would say, the first time in my life, I began to understand what it's like to be a congregant. I grew up in church, but I didn't pay attention in church. Like, you know, like normal kids, you're just kind of doing your thing, going to church, going home. And then I'd gone into ministry, I'd gone off into, you know, being an assistant pastor and being youth pastor. So I'd always been in pastoral ministry. And then in July of 2020, I was no longer in pastoral ministry, and I became a congregant. And then I began to be confronted with this issue of like, wow, I actually have to be vulnerable to let other people lead me. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like other people being accountable for me. I don't know if I like other people knowing what's going on in my life. I don't know if I like other people having to shepherd me, and I don't have control anymore. Those were some of the thoughts that were racing through my mind. I don't know if I like this. Actually, what it did for me was say, you know what, I actually wish I would have known what that felt like when I had been serving in a pastoral role, because I think I would have had a better understanding of what it feels like to be the congregant who is allowing themselves to be led by pastors or elders. But Peter says here, what does it take for Coal Creek Church to work? For Coal Creek Church to work, you know what it takes? Every one of you has to have the humility of Christ. That's vulnerable. What if we have some leaders that aren't good people? Again, I don't know who's who. I keep referencing my example I used this morning. What if we have leaders who aren't good people? You've got to be humble. Allow God to work. Allow God to work in their hearts and lives. Allow God to work in your heart and life. Well, what if I don't like to give up control? Trust in the sovereign hand of God that he leads and he guides and he directs. Find out how do we find godly men who serve in the role of elders. Again, I'm not suggesting, I don't even know who the elders are, that they're not godly men. But looking and seeking to say, we want to establish a culture that says, these are Christ-like individuals. They have a heart to glorify God. They're led by the Holy Spirit. They're engaging in this process. And I'm going to be humble to them, and I'm going to trust that they're going to be humble to me, and we're going to work together. Somebody asked me recently, as we work with a number of churches across the U.S., what do you see as a common denominator in churches? And I think what I've concluded after just three and a half, four years full-time, but other years working with churches, leaders, the problems that exist in churches usually comes down to this issue. Somebody, either an individual or a group, is trying to have control who shouldn't have control on some level. And that doesn't mean that it's not just the, the pastors. It may mean that it is a pastor or pastors. In some way, somebody's trying to exercise some form of control that they're actually not entitled to. And the issue, I believe, is driven by verse 5, which says, listen, at some point we're not having an open palm to live in humble humility to each other, to say we're going to trust God as the chief shepherd overseeing this church as he's leading you as pastors and elders, as he's leading you as other leaders to lead the church, as he's leading us as congregants to be part of this church, we all have to clothe ourselves with humility. That's how a church is going to move forward. That's how a church is to function. So as we think about Pastor Appreciation Month, as we think about what does it take to be an elder, what does it take to be a pastor, again, I believe Scripture uses those words interchangeably, what does it take to be somebody, whether paid or not paid, or went to Bible college or didn't go to Bible college, who is a called by God? In other words, I can't not do this. I have to serve in this role because this is the role that God has called me to do. How do we engage in such a way that all of those people, those men, fulfill the role of the presbyteros and the episkopos, the poimen and the oikonomos, the, the governing role and the oversight role and the shepherding role and the stewarding role? How do we make sure that all of them do what God has called them to do? We say, God, would you allow us to present and develop a culture within our body that we cultivate the kind of leaders that you want for us 
so that we can continue to be led in the way that you intend us to be led. Help us as congregants to be humble. Help our leaders as leaders to be humble. And may we shepherd and may we display the great humility of Jesus Christ as he engages with us and leads us and allows us to move forward. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary said this, Smooth relations in the church can be preserved if the congregation adorns itself with humility. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Our prayer, my prayer, is that Cole Creek Church would be a place that would say, you know what, we might be known by a lot of things, like, you know, deer wandering in the parking lot. Uh, We might be known by a lot of things. But the one thing we're really known for is that humility pervades our relationships. That's what God desires. That's what God wants. That's what God desires of our leaders. That's what God desires of our congregants. That's what God desires of all of us as we continue to engage in this process of being the humble shepherd. So for those of you that serve as elders or deacons or whatever role you may have within the body of Christ, I would say this, be faithful to fulfill all of the roles that God has called you to fulfill. For those of you that are congregants, I would say be faithful to fulfill all the roles that God has called you to fulfill, but all of you be clothed in humility to allow God to work in such a way that he is glorified in and through this body of believers. May he receive the glory. May he receive the honor for what he has accomplished here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to function within our body as you desire, to be clothed in humility, to be clothed with the humility of Christ, that it would be what enables us to function, not only in the church, but we know, Father, that you desire that in our homes as well, in our relationships as husbands and wives, as parents and as children, as employees and employers. Father, may we all, in all situations, demonstrate the humility of Jesus Christ as we play out our relationships on a daily basis. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.